0: So this was happened. What happens when you're in your 20s? It was like I want to be a certified sommelier. I want to be a cicerone, and I want to be a certified specialist of spirits. Right? That was my goal. I wanted all of them. I wanted to be the jack of all trades, the person who could do anything on any given moment and have a piece of paper that said I could do it. I was high on my college degree at the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Atlanta Foodcast there are aspects of the dining world that are rather foreign to most myself included. And more often than not, you may be like me, not knowing how to approach wine or spirits, maybe imported beer, a fancy old cocktail with a hard to pronounce mixer, and so on. And that's why I am so happy that we have Melissa Davis here in Atlanta. She's a certified sommelier and the beverage director at Revelator Coffee. And she has held amazing positions with incredible restaurants here in the city. And we get into all of that during the interview. But what I want you to listen for is just... Just how much life Melissa has inside of her. And she is full of everything from energy, passion, commitment, knowledge, willingness to learn, and especially confidence. And there is no question that she has done amazing things for all of our beverage needs in the city, and she's only going to keep the hits coming. But let's get to know her just a little bit more. And oh, there's a little bit of language throughout just in case you have little Atlanta Foodcast listeners around. So fair warning. Anyhow, here's my conversation with Melissa Davis. Enjoy. I'll give you a layup. But on the other end of the mic is an incredible uh man. I, we're gonna have to work on like how much of title we should really go through here but it's melissa davis everybody and uh let's see sommelier <laughs> incredible bartender uh genuinely wonderful person to be around but how are you
0: i'm good i'm good i'm i'm busy and i'm good and we're in crock street and i have headphones on it's really strange and it's awesome
1: yeah it's funny when you start like you know people start looking at you really funny and i just keep looking straight but i can see out of my peripheral vision people are like they're doing something.
0: Well, it's kind of funny because I can hear you like in yeah. headphones. I don't feel like I should be looking at you. I feel like I should be looking at something else. Yeah. Because if I look too yeah. hard, it's like, but I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm listening to the podcast while we're recording yeah. it.
1: And being really close to like Ticonderoga, you can tell like people come out and they're like, um, what's going on? Like, what's going on? You know? Hey guys. But. See, I'm really that's
0: a good on the fly. We should is. have someone else come in and ask them those questions. Yeah, too. exactly.
1: Like, hey, you come in right here, like tell us what you're eating. That's a <laughs> really great question. Tell us what you're eating while you have a mouthful. But <laughs> um, but I'm really, really stoked to have you on the show. I, I think the the background that you have working here in Atlanta with so many different concepts throughout the years, developing incredible programs I mean from I mean from top to bottom like wine, cocktails, everything and being able to like follow your career a little <laughs> bit and seeing things that you've built and also really what's happening in your life now. Like there's just so much to cover. So I'm just really stoked to be able to catch up with you and have you on the show. It's hey, awesome.
0: I'm excited to be here. This is yeah. super fun. I'm excited. And,
1: and not that anybody really knows, but like the first time that I actually met you, this was at Woodfire Grill mm-hmm. back in two thousand and thirteen, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, we've got a lot to get into. It's, it's five
0: years that we have is. to catch up on. We're
1: dinosaurs now. <laughs> we're, we're a bunch of old folks. But, um, but I want to get to know a little bit about your background. Okay. So this is like pre-cocktails, pre-wine, <clears throat> and before you're even old enough to drink. So I want to know, first question is, who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she?
0: Okay, so there's like two facets of that. So I had a single mom, I'm from Oklahoma, I was half-raised by my great-grandparents and my grandparents, and then my mom.
1: Are you glad that I didn't chime in with Oklahoma where, where the do? wind comes yes. sweeping
0: down the plains? We it's, did it anyway. Yes. No, you have to. Uh, it's not talking about Oklahoma without it. You have to have it. You so do. my mom, as a single mom, was very much a, like, uh, just add water box kind of mom, like box food all the time. The only thing that she ever made was meatloaf, and she learned to make meatloaf from my great-grandmother, and my mother's is actually better than my great-grandmother's. It's okay.
1: Shout out to your great grandmother though.
0: Woo woo! Thanks, mama. Um, my great grandmother, on the other hand, was very much like all about homemade everything, like biscuits and gravy. She did like I. I was raised on like uh, cornbread soaked in buttermilk that had been sitting in the fridge for like six hours. Like she would make buttermilk overnight, or not make buttermilk, make cornbread overnight, soak it in uh, buttermilk all day in the fridge, and then it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. Here's your snack. It was amazing. It was ridiculous, and I love buttermilk. Yes, please. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how I grew up eating. Like I didn't have this like super culinary-driven family in any way, shape, or form. My stepdad cooks, and he's incredible. Like he makes really great like comfort food. My mom is still like, eh. I'm good. I don't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't do that. Yeah. But Oklahoma. What what part?
0: So I was uh, born in Oklahoma City. I was. Uh, born and raised technically but like my family's kind of scattered my great grandparents live like 45 minutes southwest of the city in a town called Newcastle which is like middle of nowhere and my parents now live in Prague which is even farther in the middle of nowhere gotcha Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I I really like Oklahoma City though I've been to Tulsa and Oklahoma City and they both are charming in a very nice like dust bowl kind of way it's just different I mean it's it's not really (laughs) desert it's really just more like flat and then, but I think that the food in Oklahoma City has really, it's, it's really become like its own, which is really cool. It's, it's not just like, hey, like salt of the earth kind of cooking, you know, like it's, it's getting pretty adventurous. Like Oklahoma City's actually pretty badass.
0: Yeah, they're, they're like, it's, it's very much coming to its own. It's no longer just Del Rancho and, you know, the right. big, <laughs> the big yeah. boys. Like, don't get me wrong, I want yeah. a Del Rancho burger all the time. Right. But yeah, there's like smaller restaurants that are coming up and trying really hard to make farm to table a thing there. And it's awesome. It's like seeing the progress because I go back home about once every year. so like seeing what happens there every year is just it's kind of inspiring. It's like awesome. Like that's what we were doing here 10 years ago. And like to see that happening there is really, really cool. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. What kind of eater were you?
0: Oh, I didn't care. I wanted everything all the time.
1: So you weren't a picky kid.
0: No, I was not picky. Like when vegetables, like I ate salad. Salad was like my favorite thing. I loved
1: I love that they're singing happy birthday.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It's two weeks, but you're close. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I was not a picky child whatsoever. I. What is that?
1: So they've got that giant horn.
0: It like, sounded like a vuvuzela almost. Yeah, it's it
1: pretty much, it might as well be. Maybe that's what an Italian vuvuzela actually is. But it's that horn like right next to that giant tin on top of the make line.
0: Oh, the, like bullhorn thing. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah.
1: So you weren't a picky eater at all?
0: No, not at all. Um, all the vegetables, all the things. I loved, always loved fruit, meat. All the th- I just didn't care. I yeah. would eat anything. I remember specifically being like eight or nine the first time I had escargot, which is really strange. This was my stepdad being like. It's a big memory. It, well, because I remember loving it so much. And I was like, what is this? And my stepdad's like, they're snails. And I was like, ugh. And I was so angry and I refused <laughs> to eat it. Damn it. You <laughs> no. just ruined everything that I thought was so great in this world. Thank you, you like
1: hoping you were gonna tell me it's like part of the chicken that i've never had and can't wait to have it again but no snails like my parents kind of duped me and my brother a little bit and yes. uh, they did this with liver so oh. and, but we knew it like we could see through some bullshit that was going on and we're like uh this steak is burnt and or something's wrong and they like that's how they duped us into trying I liver. I mean, I was young. How I was big like four. was that
0: liver? I mean, did they serve you a whole cow liver? I don't know.
1: I mean, you know, it's <laughs> like the it's the giant syndrome. I mean, I was like seriously four years old. That's but, true. It's but I, li- I saw through it. And I was like, you can't fool me. Like I know what's I, going on. I know
0: this is not right.
1: Yeah, but siblings for you?
0: Uh, I have two older brothers.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Are you the eldest, the youngest, the middle?
0: I'm the baby.
1: You're the bi- uh, so you had to get the biggest fork. So you were really like
0: no 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 I had to eat the fastest because then uh, okay. I I didn't need a bigger fork like. Yeah. I'm, I'm very small. That was not going to fit in my <laughs> like, I just need to learn to like cope with it and just eat faster. So it's like the, the idea of like family meal and eating and everything that's on your plate in like 13 seconds worked out really well for me later in life because yeah. I was trained from a young age.
1: Yeah, for sure. So home's in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So you grow up. Where's college? And after that?
0: Uh, well, so it was kind of 50-50 for a lot of my life. I was between here in Atlanta and Oklahoma.
1: Oh, um, so that's how Atlanta makes it into your life.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool. So my mom and my stepdad came out here for his work. My mom was working for McKesson. She was a DEA situation. Um, I call it a situation like it's so secretive. She was a liaison <laughs> for McKesson. It's fine. Um, and so I, I stayed here. They ended up moving back to Oklahoma. I went to Georgia State. I have a degree in print communication and English literature, which is literally... The most impressive degree ever. Yeah. If I do say so.
1: But they, I think it also pairs well with wine and/or cocktails.
0: Oh, it was—it's very, very helpful having a little bit yeah. of like, you know, cultural and literary, literary like intellect behind it is what I mean. Everyone draws on that stuff all the time. Yeah. So it's like to have a little bit of insight is super helpful. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of made my own degree along the way. That's what it says on paper. Yeah. That's what it says. Right. But like. I studied all kinds of weird but stuff.
1: English lit, like think how many times in the history of seeing a self-portrait or a portrait of someone in English literature, like they always have like a, you know, they've got like brandy or something in their hand, like oh, yeah. best people, you know? like
0: um, Yeah. Well, they love to drink. I mean, that was their inspiration. Like, yeah. I've got writer's block. Have some whiskey. Perfect. Yeah. When, yeah. I, when I read that about Ernest Hemingway and his, his daiquiris, I was in college and I wasn't even in restaurants yet. And I was writing a, uh, a review of a new album or something. And I remember mm-hmm. being like, it, it was really, really hard for me. It was a band that I was, had been following for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they put out a new record. And I wasn't sure if I liked it. And I couldn't think of anything to say. And I was like, you know what? If Hemingway did it, I can fucking do it. And yeah. I went and took a shot of bourbon. And it was just like the words just started flowing. Nice. <laughs> That's how it That's goes. awesome.
1: <laughs> so you're between Atlanta and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. so But you get your degree at Georgia State.
0: Oh, yeah. And I stayed in Atlanta ever like the whole time. Like, it, I, as much as I love calling Oklahoma home, this is the place that really made me who I am. Like the hardworking mentality of the Midwest, with like the hard on your sleeve kind of thing, with like a little bit of Southern hospitality thrown yeah. in. Like that's that's me, and that's exactly what it. i mean, this like weird amalgamation of both.
1: Yeah. So what what year did you graduate from Georgia State?
0: 2011.
1: Man. So, but yours. Well, uh, that's 2000. Let's. 2007 to 2011? 2008 to 2011? Were you in college?
0: No. Uh, so I, I graduated high school in 2006, and I'm a, I'm a summer baby, so I was actually 17 when I started college. Oh, gotcha. Um, in 2006. It took, I took my time. Nice. Let's just that's say good. I learned a lot about yeah. myself in my hey, college That's years. important, though.
1: I think that's a great <laughs> message for the next generation is, like, don't rush into things. Like, make sure it's something you want to do.
0: Yeah, and my, you know? my, my parents were always very adamant about me having an actual degree. Like, you have to go to college. You have to go to an accredited school. Like, I had looked into a lot of other options and other like other fields like photography and music and things like that and they were like no you have to get an actual degree so it was kind of out of spite that i got the degree that i got yeah and they know that so i can say this on air (laughs) like it's okay like it was like fine i'm gonna get the most useless degree because you're forcing me to do it and it was awesome like the experience that i had in college was incredible and like there are people who professors of mine in college that I still keep very close contact with and who are still mentors of mine and like help me through all like all the shit yeah. just everything
1: that's awesome yeah so but you've got so you've got quite a bit of history just like being in the city of Atlanta I mean let alone getting your education here so the time that you're in college so you're going to Georgia State mm-hmm. were you working in the industry anywhere were you just like hanging out places like tell me about that
0: I mean I would I was hanging out in places, but it was, like, the local, like... I hey, those, like hey,
1: those are those are important places. It was. Yeah. They
0: had a photo booth then. It was a different time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Back
1: when that stuff mattered. Yeah. You whippersnappers.
0: Man. Photo booth fan. They're where that's at. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, t- I was absolutely working. So, I mean, my very first job when I was 16 was at Tivana at the Mall of Georgia in Viewport. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I bet that was a factory, though. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of foot traffic.
0: It it really, like, it was and it wasn't. So, like, during Christmas season, it was unbelievably busy. Like, I, I've never worked retail, like, in a clothing shop, um, although I did an interview with Forever 21 when I was, like, just before this, and the job was an overnight stocking person, and your job was from 6 p.m. until, like, 7 in the morning. I was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Those are non-human hours. Uh, so, my first job was in tea, and then I went and worked, I worked for Starbucks for a long time, and kind of milled about in early college. I ended up working at Figo uh, in Decatur. Oh, wow. was my first actual, like, restaurant job. Um, and I was working all at Figo and at the Atlanta Opera, Atlanta Opera in their uh, marketing department to, and going to school. I'm like, how the hell do I do this? Like, what, what, what the fuck? Like, what is it that, like, 20-year-olds have, like, just in their bodies that makes this okay? So it's not okay. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, I left Figo, I left the opera, and I was kind of milling about, and I was like, I need to do something. And I remember being like, I need to be around people. I miss people. Because when I was at the opera, our offices were in this really dark, kind of drab office building with no windows, no nothing happening, it was really kind of boring and sad. I was like, I miss people. And that's how I ended up at Cakes and Ale, in 2008.
1: Gotcha. So what was your first position at Cakes and Ale?
0: Well, okay. This is my favorite story ever. So I was interviewing for a hostess position. I went in and I nice staged, I did my, my night in the restaurant. And when I, when I finished, when Kristen finally called me back, like two days later, I was so stressed out. I was like, I want this job. I want this job. I want this job. And they're not calling me and I don't know what's going on. Like a day after that, Kristen called and she's like, well, we think you work too hard to be a hostess
1: whoa (laughs) well and that's like feathering your cap for the rest of your life
0: i was like thank you
1: yeah you're like yeah i'm young ambitious and able-bodied and yeah you're damn right i work too hard
0: right you're like yeah Yeah. i'm like thank you for noticing thank you for
1: seeing things in myself that i didn't know existed
0: absolutely (laughs) so they were like we want you to be a food runner and i was like yes nice score this is awesome uh and then over i mean over the years like because it's a small like At the time, small baby business, like, everybody wore a lot of hats. Like, no one just did one thing. It's not like, I'm the host, so that's what I do. It's like, everyone had a piece of the puzzle. It's like, by the end of my time there, I had uh, run food. I'd worked in the kitchen. I ran dish. I had hosted and bartended. And by the time I was leaving, I was helping run the bar with Jordan. And, yeah, like and i was their florist for a very long time as well so it's like all of this experience in one building it was like every single day was like learning a new thing that i was absolutely and utterly obsessed with and like that's really where it started for me like the love of food and the passion of what it could be and like the idea of dining is not just going out and eating and having food but it being an actual truly enlightening and beautiful life-changing experience really 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 started there
1: yeah and you know i mean i I, I was really sad to hear the news of Cakes and Ale, and I can only imagine it's probably compounded in your heart, you know. But, and I and I think for for, for great reasons, you know. I mean, like they're incredible restaurateurs and entrepreneurial spirited, you know. Just, mm-hmm. you know, the it, it's hard running a restaurant, and I mean, we man, we ate at Cakes and Ale, and well, and we went to the cafe probably even more. Mm-hmm. But you you hit on a really great point about Cakes and Ale that it it was it was the perfect experience of like if you knew you needed just a solid night out with a friend or a couple of friends or you know the loved one in your life or you're celebrating something like it seemed to somehow bridge the gap of like this is very much more elevated dining but it never felt like it
0: well when we made th- that was very specific it was a very specific choice i remember when we first uh were getting started and the idea was we want fine dining michelin star service in a bistro feel like that was very intentional because i mean billy lived around the corner he wanted a place that people could go and have an incredible meal and know that they're going to get proper service and extremely gracious hospitality along the way and not feel stuffy about it it's open and honest and it was always just a lot of fun like that's what we were there for it was like yeah not every night was fun like this is a restaurant you know it, sure weeds happen you know <laughs> but it was always just It was always lighthearted. It was never intensely serious. It was always open and very just, we were all growing together. We referred to ourselves for a long time as a box of misfit toys. It was like, how did we end up here? (laughs) We're all in this one building trying to make this as awesome as we can be. And we all put every ounce of our being into it because we believed in it because it was something that was, it was just intrinsic in all of us to make it work and make it incredible. And that was, yeah. That yeah. was one of the most amazing experiences.
1: Yeah, and end-to-end, end, you know, I mean, just everything from, you know, from from walking through the front door, being treated in such an amazing way as a customer, as a diner, and from starters to cocktails to wine to food and then even to dessert, like, there, there was just something that everything, like, put this playing field, that you, you were put on this playing field that just – made it feel like you left everything else kind of behind you of like now this is what my my greatest eating experience like now this is the bar yeah and i just but but cake always had such an amazing place you know and um so i mean it's it's a uh, it's sad to see like that you know that chapter close but it's, um, it's amazing to have some memories. And I think we actually probably missed you very slightly while you were there. Yeah. so
0: I mean, I was literally in that building five days a week yeah. for like five and a half years straight. so Yeah.
1: But you went on from Cakes and Ale to what was next?
0: Um, the next was running the a beverage program at the General Mirror. And that was like, holy guacamole. I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. like I mean, when, when you're a mom and pop and you're figuring it out, you do what's right for you. And, you know, Shelley and Todd come from Concentrix, which is a very not extremely corporate, but they, you know, lots of spreadsheets and things that that make sense and numbers and things and what have you. And like, I had never seen anything like that before. And I remember like walking into that room being like, oh God, like the first time I saw a spreadsheet, I was like, I'm not afraid of you but I am afraid of you. And Shelly was like, you're fine. This is nothing. You got this. Like everything that I know about like inventory tracking and all, like all of the like spreadsheet manipulation and not even the manipulation, but like making a spreadsheet, making it pretty and making it useful was Shelly sitting right by my side and teaching me every step of the way how to do it. And like, that was incredible.
1: Yeah. So, and I guess like, you know, going (coughs) from Cakes and Ale to General Muir, I mean like these are two, I mean, if you know anything about, you know, dining the the best way that you really can in Atlanta like those would be two places that I would have pushed anyone towards like mm-hmm. you want to go have pastrami you like go along yes. General Muir you want to have a great night out cakes and ale, fantastic choice definitely top three mm-hmm. but you know what what was it about beverage that really spoke to you that was I mean that you didn't end up like back of the house you know
0: well so I can't cook
1: <laughs> I can't. All right, good night, everybody. Yeah, We're you. done, and bye. <laughs> um,
0: and so what, I think what, what drew me to cocktails because it was this thing of like instant gratification. And I can owe, the, I owe all of this to Karina Darrell. So when they first were like, okay, you've been a food runner, you've done all these things, like you worked in the kitchen on Valentine's Day, our first Valentine's Day. Oh, my God, that was insane. They're like, we want you to be behind the bar. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know anything about any of this. Like, I didn't know what a dirty martini was. I didn't know what a dry martini was. I didn't know anything, anything at all. And Karina Darrell was running the bar when we opened and she was like, okay, well, what spirit do you like the least? And I was like, tequila, duh. She goes, you have to have a tequila cocktail ready for a menu for me in five days. Damn. Yeah, like, oh, straight up, put it on me. And I was, oh, I was so stressed. It was the most stressful five days of my life. I was like, all the things, like everything that could, pos- like I want sage infused this and aloe this and all the things. And there was at one moment I would like tasted a cocktail I made, and I was like, I just convoluted it in, I just made this fucking mess. I just made a mess like it's not even good like nothing shines through whatever I've complicated this beyond belief and so I stopped and I pulled myself back and I made the first cocktail that I ever actually made which was called the Brew Haha. because it was tequila Strega I don't know if you know about Strega but it's one of oh it's like the most so whereas Fernet is like Amaro side Strega is like sweet and viscous and intense it's saffron uh, flavored with saffron and so it's like bright yellow but it will eat your food for you it's ah. like the best thief on the planet, and no one knows about it. So I put it in, and I loved it. So I put it in this cocktail. At the time, Corinne and I were using fernet as mouthwash,
1: oh, wow. to hide like yeah. smoking
0: cigarettes. So we'd be like, "Yeah, Go, that know. works. That it's works. Fine. Yeah." And so it was all of that. And I remember that episode of where like what's hot Atlanta or something from Atlanta magazine came out, and the brouhaha was the cocktail in the, in the magazine. And I was like. Are you fucking kidding me right now? This is amazing. I like mind blown, mind blown. Like, how,
1: and how long have you been at Cakes and Ale?
0: Oh, at that point, a year's. It okay. was, so that came out the summer before we moved. So at that point, um, almost three years probably. Wow. Yeah. Well, you
1: get, I mean, you get write-up on a cocktail that you create. I mean, I mean, getting any sort of write-up, like someone is now covering what you are creating in the culinary space. Mm-hmm that's a big deal and especially what it does to your confidence that that is that is the equivalent of getting like a really good year-end review right know, of like oh my gosh I did my job and I did it well thanks but that like and now it piqued someone else's interest and that's that's pretty awesome
0: well and I think you know and I was so like thank you Bill Addison like so grateful I was my mind was blown I didn't even understand how that happened but it was I took what Billy did with food and put it into cocktails it was just like Billy let the ingredients shine and that's all that needed to happen and that's taking that mentality and putting that into a cocktail is exactly what needed to go side by side with his food you didn't need something with 15 ingredients you didn't need something that was like hyper intense or you know convoluted or messy in any way it just needed to be what it was and i think that's you know understanding that concept of it because at that point i'd worked in the kitchen like six times like billy the the little tiny amount of things that i know about cooking were from billy you know being like Well, you're going to learn to blanch things now, and now you have to learn to make pizzelles, and don't dress the salad, dress the bowl, you know, (laughs) like that that stuff. All came from him, and so it was just one of those things. It was take that mentality of cooking and put it in behind the bar. They're not that different.
1: Yeah. But I think you touch on a really great aspect of, you know, of just how a restaurant works, and you know, we're going to get into this a little bit more. But when you start talking about beverage program, yeah. like, this is not just you know like you go to an Italian restaurant and here's the house red, and like that's we're, we're talking about what makes everything. Come together. It's the glue. It's the homogenizing X factor that can really create an experience for the guest, and it, it, it's what it, it's what almost like gives you like the other plane to kind of go off of, you know. But most of the time, it's uh, it, it really takes the right person, you know, to to have the attention to detail and what makes it so special. Right. It's a huge aspect of it, but. Uh, but anyway, like, your story doesn't really stop there. So you're actually at the General Mirror, but <laughs> then, uh, so I want to make sure I got this right, but from General Mirror is the next step Woodfire Grill?
0: It is. So it was at the General Mirror that I realized, so, you know, I'm running a bar, I'm training people, and I'm making cocktails and building wine lists and doing all these things. And I was like, okay, I've been doing this long enough, like... I already have a college degree. It's like, if I'm going to do this, and like I've, I've put so much of my life into this industry, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I had this insane idea, right? <laughs> so this was what happens when you're in your 20s. It was like, I want to be a certified sommelier. I want to be a Cicerone. And I want to be a certified specialist of spirits, right? That was my goal. I wanted all of them. I wanted to be the jack of all trades, the person who could do anything on any given moment and have a piece of paper that said I could do it. I was high on my college degree at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, I don't remember why it was that I started with wine as opposed to spirits because you know Evan Milliman and we had a group that were all kind of studying for that very loosely kind of getting together and being like let's talk about it maybe we'll do it and I don't know what it was but I was like I'm gonna start with wine hmm. and I literally went down this tiny little rabbit hole of incredible information and like every day. Every single day, my mind is blown by wine every day to this day. It's not just like a fact that I learn or like a wine that I taste, but just the immense amount of what it takes to do it blows my mind still every day. And so I just like went down that path and like never stopped, never even looked back. I was like, well, that was insane given that I just gave up like three and a half years of my life to study for this. (laughs) Like, wow, that's a lot of work. And I thought I could do all of those things. That was fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But man, having—I mean, being a—a a, a certified sommelier. I mean, like, or just even—I mean, going down that route, it's—I uh, mean, let alone like the dedication and understanding, like how you develop a palette. Like, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm sitting across the table standing across the table from you, like <laughs> someone who will. Drink wine and totally like stealing a line from Wolfgang Puck. Like, take a sip. Like, have a discerning look on my face and just say, "Very complex." But that's just kind of where it stops, because I'm not confident. You know, like I don't, I don't know everything that I would like to know about wine. But sure. when now you have, when now you have like this ammo, like to bring to a restaurant, like that's that's an incredible, I I mean, leader to bring to anyone's team. Because now you you see like you, you almost have like another like dimensional view of how like this is gonna work with food and also what that does to the guest, but also what it does to the business side. That's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, so it's like the, the point when I did that, it was like I had learned the experience side and I learned the food side, and then I had learned the like business side of it from the general mura and then it was like, okay, well I wanna work for the best of the best in the wine industry. And you know, over the years I'd eaten at Woodfire Grill many, many, many times. And every time, every experience in that building was just, I remember every single one of them. Like every single one. The very first time we went, we sat at the bar, they were packed, we had a reservation, the table never got up. We were like, it's cool, we'll sit at the bar, it's no big deal, there were four of us. And the bartenders were just, it was Blake and Blake. Blake and Blake, sat at the bar, (laughs) we had all these brambles, we had cocktails. It was the very first time that I ate a scallop and really, really loved it. Like, I will never forget these moments. And uh, Nick Quinones reached out to me and he's like, I'm looking for a bar manager. And I was like, it was funny because it was an April Fool's. It was on like April fool's day. Oh wow. And I was like, is this a joke? Like, are you sure you're looking at me? Like, Oh, my God. And I remember going into interview for that position, and I brought three changes of clothes with me. Like, my palms were sweating. I, like, I was freaking the fuck out. Yeah. Like, it was unbelievable. And I sat down with Nick. I was just, like, rubbing my hands. Like,
1: Did you know Nick before this, though?
0: Only from him dining at Cakes and me dining oh, at Woodfire wow. Girls. So, it wasn't like we had worked together before. Gotcha. And he just, like, straight up, oh, my God. I was so stressed. I was so stressed, but that was my goal. I was like, I wanna work with the best sommelier I know, a person who showed me what it's like to be hospitable with wine and open and genuine and honest about what it is that you're serving and just, fucking fun like Nick is so much fun when he's talking about wine he's uh, he's goofy and he brings this like light and energy into wine that you don't see with so many people it's like psalms one of the biggest things that happens with psalms is that they get in the little psalm rabbit hole they start talking about something and then it goes from like oh we're talking about grapefruits like oh no, no no we're talking about grapefruit pith and grapefruit oil and all these things and like a guest is just like like way over their head. Yeah. And Nick never did that. He had a, he had a way of simplifying it at the table and still giving you everything that you needed to know with all the passion and joy and love inside that man's body. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And working for that building. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, we, we had the chance to dine at Woodfire while you were there, yeah. you know, and, um, it really was a special experience. I mean, everything that was coming from the kitchen, everything from the bar, I mean, it, I mean, you talk about just another experience that really, that it, like you said, I mean, it sticks with you. You know, like getting, getting a little bit back more into just you know how, how the beverage side really elevates the dining side of a restaurant.
0: So, I actually, when I was reading these interview questions, I thought a lot about it. That's, this is how I spent my plane ride to New Orleans. And it came to me that, you know, I've, I've worked in a lot of places where, you know, neither was really king, but one was silent king, you know? Like, people came for the food, and they enjoyed the drink. Yeah. But it was never... I never worked in a place that was like... I'm, I work in a cocktail bar. People come for my cocktails, and there's food, you know? And the more I thought about it, the more that it was... It's not a what came first, the chicken or the egg. It's you can't have the chicken without the egg, and you can't have the egg without the chicken. Like, they have to be cohesive they have to be coherent they have to be collaborative and on on the same page traveling down the same interstate and that that is when beverage programs and restaurants really do thrive and survive and just excel at what they're doing is when it's clear that they're both communicating with each other. It requires that because, you know, w- what's a great wine if you don't have good food to go with it? You know, what's an inspired chef without an inspired sommelier? What's an inspired sommelier without amazing food to go with it? You know, and even if it's not amazing, finding something incredible to pair with it, the moment, even when it, even when you're like the simplest thing, like I remember, um, so Philip Stice, um, owns Dice Winery. His Infidel made it into the market. He brought me a bottle of his Chardonnay, which is not being brought into Georgia. He it was a gift. And I was sitting on my couch and I was doing working a puzzle with my roommate and it was, I don't do puzzles, but my roommate does. So I was indulging her in the puzzle doing. And I opened this bag of like uh, Sun Chips, uh, the French onion sun chips and like those chips with that damn wine. I was like, this is so good. It's like, it's the stupidest thing. It's like the stupidest pairing. It means nothing to anyone. And this is so perfect together. And I called, yeah. <laughs> I called Phil. I was like, Phil, you're going to hate me, but your wine's really good with chips. <laughs> and he was like, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Melissa. I, was, like, I mean it. It was so good. It like made me so happy that I wanted to call you. He was like, no, 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 I'm excited about it. It's great. Bye. Yeah.
1: yeah. But, but you touch on something that's really important because, you know to to really, you know, dispel some, some rumor or just misunderstanding or misconception really is wine is, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, like there, there are certain places in the culinary realm for where wine and something even more elevated, like now you're eating something like truffles or foie gras or, you know, some sort of aged beef. Like there is the right pairing, like the right, the right varietal, you know, the right winery, the the right person to really bring you like this pairing. But it's, th- that's a perfect example is like your palate is never going to lie to you. It's like you like this or you don't. Right. You know, so I mean, if you're talking about, you know, French onion sun chips with wine, like, I mean, hey, you know, like that's, that's comforting though. Like exactly. that's an important aspect. And I think that probably might give people a little bit more solace and like, yes, open a bottle of wine and don't be intimidated.
0: Exactly. Well, and I, I think, you know, over the years, because the best wine lists are in these, you know, Michelin star, these big, intense restaurants that are a little intimidating and a little like not off-putting, but they're definitely exclusive. And so people feel like wine only lives in that realm of existence. And that's not true. And it doesn't have to live in the $5 a bottle or one ninety-nine, which I saw at Kroger the other day and I was very worried about.
1: Are they um, mad at you? Like, please take this? Like,
0: I I, I I, wanted to buy it and be like, you know, you're a $1.99. Let's see what you really got going on. Ooh. And then I was too afraid to do it. <laughs> I wouldn't do it.
1: Like, I um, think this is one, two bucks. M- uh, it yeah. might,
0: it might yeah. just be liquid sulfites. Who knows? Yeah, Who knows? But, um, you know, it doesn't have to live just because your program doesn't exist in a Michelin start. doesn't mean that it has to live on the $5 shelf. Like there's so much incredible wine. That's like in between five and in between 30, it's approachable and honest and is what it is. and, you can pop a bottle and enjoy it with whatever you like. Like it's, it's not, it's not my job to tell you what you like to drink, but it's my job to give you something delicious that you will enjoy. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And you know, I, I mean, again, I've got a long way to go when it comes to wine and I'm still really comfortable like in the pocket of like crisp white wine. Like I haven't, like I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But you know, to me, like if someone, were to say like you know I think I got an idea like where your palate is pegged like if you tell me that you like crisp and bright like I've got three options for you and I could just kind of throw whichever one at you and like that gives me the option of saying now I trust you like now I trust you like as someone who understands wine more than I do but you're bringing it down onto my level like hey don't worry about the label like you can't pronounce all of this language but like I got you like that to me is the incredible work of someone who knows wine. So for you as a sommelier, like I've never felt like I was in, like I was just like Wild West of like, oh, I gotta figure this whole thing out again. And no. like, but you always made that, you, you always made that level of dining so much more approachable.
0: Well, and that's the goal. And I think, you know, I think what happens with so many people is, is you end up in a position or with a title or in this, this place and you somehow lose track of where you were when you started. And I never forget the moment that I had no idea what Faro was when I started working in food. I had no idea what, I, what the hell a watermelon radish was or what a dirty martini was or what any of this shit was. I didn't know. And I'm, I constantly remind myself of that so I stay humble all the time. And with wine, like you never know what's gonna come out of the woodwork. Like There's always another grape that decides to, to show up and be imported to the United States or another winemaker. It's always changing. So you're always constantly on your toes. And it doesn't allow you that moment to say, I am what I am and I know everything and I'm the best and that's it. And yeah. you, you just can't be you. It, it doesn't make sense for you. And it doesn't make sense for the people that you're working with. It doesn't make sense to people for the people who are working for you or the people who are dining in your restaurant. The moment that you take away from them, the experience of being somewhere, which is what happens when you impart too much knowledge or too much structure or too much intensity on someone, that experience is lost. You know, the beauty of dining is that you can sit back and relax. And when someone feels uncomfortable and feels talked down to, they're no longer relaxed. Yeah. And just, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to just, you know, to take the three words, do the thing, and it doesn't have to be anything more than that. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay.
1: A friend of mine who works in beer, so yeah. is a Cicerone. You know the way that my
0: long lost dream
1: <laughs> it just never happened it just never <laughs> happened three and a half years went by and I was like whatever but uh, but no like similar things on the beer front but it's just a different atmosphere a different culture I mean different stereotypes right but yeah. the same thing with beer of like I might not like IPA's but that's all that I keep drinking and that's why I don't like beer but it, it was always her job Wait, is that
0: your personal feeling
1: no, I love IPs. Okay. I, this <laughs> okay. Is, that's a bad that's Excuse a bad me. hypothetical. I should have chosen something completely different. <laughs> like uh yeah, like half a bison, not a half of Bison guy. Well, I mean but bananas, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. But um but taking that taking that world of something that you don't know and remapping the psychology of it, like that that was the most amazing description that I heard of her job of like, I have to simplify something for someone so they don't feel like they're in the dark. Yeah. And now it's something that might be still a little bit scary, but now they at least have a little bit more of a leg up in being comfortable in liking what they're actually drinking.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, because you're, you're more likely to have an informed decision, like be able to make an informed decision. If you're given the basics, it's like I remember having no earthly idea where to start. When I started learning about wine, I bought every book, I read every website, I did all of the things, and I still was like, I had to sit down and make a lesson plan for myself through the course of like eight months, right? It was like this eight month thing. And over the course of doing that, to like, I wish I could remember exactly. Oh, I needed to make sense of uh, like the difference between Burgundy and uh, Bordeaux in terms of like what was actually classified. So I didn't realize this until far into my training is that Bordeaux classifications aren't actually the property, they're only the house. So if the chateau decides to sell, they could lose their classification. Granted, none of the chateaus have sold, so there's that, but in Burgundy it's actually like this one tiny little place. You're not talking about the house, you're not talking about the owner, you're talking about the the ground that vine lives on. Like no one really has ownership of that in any way, shape or form. And you hear all it's like oh the the first growth here and the second growth here and the Grand Cru and the Premier Cru and the this and that and what have you it gets very complicated very very quick and you're like hold on hold on hold on slow down slow down and I was constantly trying to put everything in layman's terms so that I understood it and I think that's part of what makes wine so hard to understand for everyone is it's very it is complicated like it's a very complicated thing and you need someone to decipher all of that information and spit it back out in a way that makes sense to people to human beings who don't want to read the wine bible cover to cover six times or the world atlas of wine and have maps memorized you know like it's okay to not know anything that's why there's people who do it's okay it's okay
1: and that's like inception level crazy like especially I mean Bordeaux and Burgundy like I'm nowhere near there but (laughs) understanding the difference between like whiskey and bourbon like and if you understand the history of it like now it starts to make a little bit more sense and Mm -hmm. like then you also start understanding like what actually makes this drink that I like yeah you know, what actually makes the difference in like the mash and yada yada you know so but getting into all that there's so much more there's so much more prestige that comes with wine I feel like for most people and that's what makes it a little bit more unapproachable you mm-hmm. well know? and but it's more
0: expensive exactly you can go have a pint for three dollars but if you want a glass it's going to be six or if you want a bottle that's 30 yeah it's a lot it's more money yeah
1: and see that that's where I uh like when not when we go to like cakes and ale, you know like that's the kind of place that i would go dine and i would actually be more excited to get a bottle of wine and instead of just like a beer or a cocktail because like that was finite that seemed more doable but when i when can't turn back if yeah, i do this now exactly but you know the <laughs> bottle of wine you know i mean that's that's a that's a side of um hello how, how are, are you?
0: you oh my god your shirt's fabulous so is yours
1: so, we're pausing for just a few seconds because Melissa and I actually kept getting interrupted by folks just passing by, people that we knew, and everything else. And it's a great problem to have. It's just a fun opportunity for me to bring a little bit more light to the fact that I do this show in the wild, not in some cozy studio, which I'm sure that you can hear. And I love the elements of ambiance that it brings to the show. You know, this show belongs to Atlanta, and I hope that I always get to do it this way. And I just thought it it was a really great opportunity to mention that also because it was a really hard thing to continue recording when people kept coming up and asking us questions but anyway let's get back to the interview um, we we we've, we really touched on you know part of your amazing history in the beverage world of the culinary side of things here in Atlanta but it didn't it didn't stop at wood fire so i mean i guess just fast forwarding quite a bit i mean you you've done some amazing things you've built some incredible programs you've you've layered one of the like really the most incredible education you can gain in your field and you actually end up at i mean staple house is incredible so i mean you talk about you know i mean accolade you know here in atlanta and you know ending up as like best restaurant and um but just an incredible story as well so tell me how you got involved at staple house
0: uh, so I, had the original beverage director was Stephen James And he's a good friend of mine uh, And he was leaving to go come over here To Crog Street and work at Hop City And, you know, word on the street happened And I was very, like It's like, no, I can't, like, apply there That's not, like, that's those are the cool kids Like, that's, that's, not, my, <laughs> that's not my thing That's a
1: popular crowd
0: Yeah, those are the cool guys and i did it anyway and i totally emailed kara out of the blue i didn't really know her or jen or ryan like I, I knew heidi a little bit from some offsite events but i didn't know the rest of the family and so i emailed her really out of nowhere and i was like hi kara mm-hmm. just wanted to like throw my name in the hat like yada yada i'm trying to be super casual about this and i'm freaking out um and just like totally sent it in blind like i didn't know them it wasn't like i had an in it was like." I'm going to apply for something for the first time in a long time. And um, she got back to me immediately and we sat down and we like immediately I was so comfortable. Like Kara is one of these incredibly beautiful humans who can talk your ear off and laugh and she can be crass but she's so caring and loving and genuine and so much of her spirit just lives through that that restaurant like every moment just the love and the joy that is Kara. And I was immediately attracted to it she was like come downstairs let's go walk through the dining room and I immediately felt like I was in the original cakes and ale location I was like oh man this is so fun like the space is really great it's tiny which I love all the things interview again like they offered me a job but I was my mind was blown my mind was blown and I remember telling her that it felt like it felt like going back to Cakes and was being there and when I the first day that I walked into the job she goes welcome home and my just heart broke into a hundred thousand pieces and it was just like, okay, I'm wow. home. This is great. That's awesome. It was, it was incredible. And that, that experience was one of, it was, it's so sad. Well, I'm, I can't say that I'm not there cause I'm here. I'm filling in this weekend, but, um, like so much incredible energy and so much passion and so much just integrity and attention to detail. Just, seep through everything that comes out of that building. And it's all so genuine, it never feels convoluted or thought out, even though we spend all day thinking about it. It just feels natural. Like you come in, Hey, how are you? Yeah. How are you doing? But like all day, we've been talking about how to have that conversation, but it's, it just is, it just is so relaxing and enjoyable and welcome in and have a good time. And now you're in our home. So sit back and have an incredible meal and some great drinks. And we're going to hang out with you and listen to some rap music while this happens. Yeah. Are you ready for that? No, I know. And I think so. that's what
1: I love about Ryan. I mean, like it's super cool, you know, but um yeah, we've had some friends that have dined there and you know, they're they're always like really surprised like the mural like on the on the gate, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like John Candy and they're like uh like is it is that the restaurant? Like the one that every like, yes, it's that one. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's gonna blow your mind. But, I mean like, what's it? What, what was it been? What what has it been like for you? I mean, managing the beverage side, especially in a restaurant with with so much attention. You know, just on the consumer side, where it's, I mean, it's very sought after. But also a tasting menu. Yeah. Like, what's that been like?
0: So, I mean, it's it's what what's great about Ryan's Food is that it offers there's so much diversity to it. He's using so many different kinds of ingredients. Like you're talking about chicken liver tarts on the same menu as miso and sakibushi and these incredible Japanese ingredients mixed with this very, very Southern traditional food. So it actually, it allows you to be extremely playful. It doesn't, you're not limited in any way. Literally the sky is the limit on what you're capable of doing. Um, because his food is so diverse. It's like throw a, an Amaro in the middle of a tasting menu because that's what needs to be paired with that right in this very moment. That's what you need to drink with that. Or start with this really fun, playful cocktail or end with beer because that's what needs to happen. And it's, you, don't ha- you don't have to be limited to just wine. Um, and I think that's what makes Ryan's food so great and what made the tasting menu so much fun is that it wasn't limiting in any way. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's like you can put in all these because I mean you know I worked behind the bar for a long time. We did tasting, we did cocktail tasting menus at Woodfire, so it was just like, my God, Mm -hmm. this is the perfect time to like throw in little things here and there. And like I I spent most of it doing, you know, wine and beer and little things here and there, especially like during um, like Valentine's Day and um, what's the one fireworks. Uh, Fourth of July. No, <laughs> no New Year's. <laughs> New Year's. <laughs> the New Year's tasting menu. That we threw holiday. all kinds of stuff in the, in, in the mix there. It was a little bit easier huh. as we were getting started in the tasting menu to do just wine. So it was a little bit more approachable. Cause it's like, well, we already just we just landed a 12-course tasting menu on you out of nowhere. So like, wine is easy. So we'll, we'll start there and kind of mill about. And it was... It was awesome. It was a lot of
1: fun. Yeah. I should have said Arbor Day, by the way. That would have been really or funny. Or like
0: Columbus Day. Yeah. You know, something that guy really drank. Extreme. He knew Boxing what was that. Boxing
1: Day in Canada, or something like, that. like I, is that
0: Canadian? I thought yeah. that was English. I have
1: no idea. They probably both been, do it. It would have just been fun to like throw you off with a really weird holiday. But <laughs>
0: What's the one with fireworks? <laughs> it's like, I don't know why. My brain kept wanting to say New York Day, and that's not a thing.
1: Well, we can make New York Day.
0: It should be today. Let's go. You we ready? Could, we it's could, cheap. Flights are cheap.
1: Yeah, we could keep going on this, and we'll 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 keep beating a dead horse. But <laughs> man, we've we've covered so much of how you got started in Atlanta, and the places that you cut your teeth on, moved into, and then really started developing yourself in, into what you are today. I mean, like such. I mean, you are you are such a, a staple in the. In the culinary community here in Atlanta, and you've done some amazing things, worked under some amazing people, and we're going to get into like really what's happening in your world now slash next. But, um, but you know, wrap up for me in in a concise way. Maybe just, you know, approaching the beverage side of the dining scene or the dining world here in Atlanta, and you know what makes it so special because. The thing that I say here on the Foodcast is, you know, the people that I interview on the show, like, they are the people that make up this tapestry that, that really make Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. And that can go so many ways. I mean, you can look at Buford Highway to so amazing restaurants and so on and so on. But, you know, the, the, the thing that I really want to know, I guess, in that vein is, you know, really what, what from the beverage side do you think makes Atlanta special in that vein?
0: I think what Atlanta's always been very good at is doing exactly what Atlanta wants to do if that makes sense and doing it with uh, a lot of ingenuity, a lot of genuine hospitality and a lot of love and care. Um, we are not a pretentious town. We're not we're we're fast moving and you know, in compared to like New Orleans, we move a lot faster here but we're not that like brash in your face kind of place. And so you get people, you know, like Paul and Greg who make these incredible cocktails, but they do it in a way that is approachable and helpful and easy. And it's all about not being pretentious. Like I think, you know the accumulation of people who have found their way here have dealt with a lot of that they're like we've dined in new york we've dined in las vegas we've dined all over the world i've had bartenders who have like put a drink in front of me and they're like goodbye see you later like i care no longer about you in very great establishments and here it's not about that. It's about making someone feel like you're walking into, into your own home. Even in the, even in the bigger restaurants in this town, like hospitality is king. And I think that's what makes Atlanta so much different from everyone else. That it is literally a genuine open arm welcome. Hi, how are you? Like just heartfelt. We just want to see you and hang out, like come and hang out with us. Yeah. Um, and we've always just done what we wanted to do. When we decided that 16 ingredient cocktails were too much, we stopped. Like, we stopped doing it. Ration and Dram's a great example of that. Ticonderoga Club is a great example of that. When we looked at products that we were selling and we were like, we could make something better than that. We did. You know, when we decided that high alcohol, high proof cocktails were no longer cool, we made suppressors. (laughs) Like, we just do it. We're like, whatever. We're gonna do our own thing, it'll be fine. Yeah. And we're just down here like, wily little bugs in the South just, like, doing our own (laughs) shit. And everyone's like, what's happening down there? And we're like, we just love you guys, okay? Like, it's fine.
1: But I feel like we can probably do another episode just on the the language of the beverage world. Yeah. Because there's so many – I mean, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of chemistry. There's a lot of – I mean, very – uh, I mean elemental things that come into play when you're talking about beverages especially mm-hmm. wine I mean everything like under the umbrella like we're gonna have to do that at some at some point like do something that's a little bit more yeah. like we're gonna get down into let's like, get
0: deep let's do that yeah, let we'll su- do oh that would be super. oh my gosh if you had like a round table of like all the people like yeah, yeah
1: we're gonna do that, that could be we're fun. gonna do that but group um, podcast <laughs> we'll do a group podcast. <laughs> All the more microphones and we can do we can do guests. We'll get some
0: I have one that's like a little robot splitter. That could be fun. Yeah,
1: we can do that. It's it looks like yeah, easy. I like that. But <laughs> but you know, wrapping up, you know, your your background here in Atlanta, you're actually moving on to something that's really really exciting. And I mean, just a I mean it's, it's a great time of growth over here on the east side of town and um, but you're you're actually currently with Revelator, which yeah. is awesome. So Revelator, you know, is really taking you know quite a big footprint here in Atlanta and doing some really cool things. But um, I don't want to you know butcher the hard work that you're doing here. So tell us what you're doing with Revelator, Melissa.
0: Uh, so we are opening a wine bar. Uh, it's called Hazel Jane's. It's not really that far from the That's Crog Street Market. It's a sick
1: name. It's awesome.
0: Okay, so the best part about this, and we were talking earlier about literary people and how they were they they were always drinking. They always had a glass of brandy or scotch or whatever. Um, so the woman that they... We, lots of meetings happened along the way about like what we were going to call it. And we were doing some research on female aviators. And this woman named Hazel Jane Rains was the first female in the state of Georgia to have her commercial pilot's license. This woman is a badass. Like, she got her, per- her, like, she did it on a dare. Someone at a county fair one time was like, I bet you won't go get your pilot's license. And she was like, fuck you, I will. And <laughs> went and got it. Ended up, she, she flew for the Wasps in World War II. She flew, she flew planes through enemy territory that were completely unarmed. It, unbelievable. Like, her story is absolutely incredible. And she's from, like, Augusta. Like, crushing it, just unbelievable. Anyway, she died in London at a kind of, not young, I mean, she was in her 40s or 50s, but she was kind of a drunk, and it kind of just fits the whole thing. But she was a total badass woman, so that's the name of the restaurant. Um, and it's just going to be this really beautiful wine bar that is, has a little bit of retail, coffee all day, a beautiful patio that literally steps off the belt line. And it's one of those things, like, when you think about drinking wine, especially for me when I think about where I want to go to drink, it's like, well, if I want a really nice bottle of wine, I have to go to a really nice restaurant. But I'm by myself, so then I have to sit at the bar. But if I'm taking up a bar seat, I have to eat. So it's, it's like all of these obligations that come in with it. And I wanted to open a place, I've always wanted to do this. This is like dream job situation. So when they came to me, I was like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, um, a place where you could come in, have a great bottle of wine and order food if you wanted to. It wasn't an obligation. It was like the, the not a secondary thing, but it was like, I'm here to have a great bottle of wine and some really, really awesome food. And I want both of those things to coexist together and I'm really super excited about yeah.
1: it. Yeah. And I mean it's it's coming to the the portion of the beltline that is really going to do something crazy because there's so much happening. Yeah. And I mean Hazel Jane's is is one name among several. I mean it's it's really hard for me to keep up now, but I mean it's it's going to be really it's going to be really exciting for you guys to have a place that's I mean essentially fueled by foot traffic, which yeah. is not the norm, you know, and but that, I think that also speaks really, really well to the level of latitude that you have here in Atlanta. Like that's, there's viability for a business like that. And Hazel Jane's, it's perfect. And you're like, that's going to be a great spot, but you can you can easily decipher how that's going to work. Oh, yeah. It's amazing.
0: Well, and I mean, imagine like you find yourself walking down the Beltline in the middle of, you know, a Saturday or a Monday, because, you know, Monday's a good day to have off if you're a normal restaurant person. And you're like walking down the road and you're like... I do want a glass of wine. That's a good call. And just like roll in and have a good time and sit back and relax. And it's, you know, having a place where you can just come in and enjoy yourself. And it's not like, it's it's literally all bar. All bar. There's maybe five or six tables, maybe seven, and we're still working on the plans on the inside. So it's all bar. Like just come in, grab a seat at the bar, hang out, have some wine, and just chill. And enjoy yourself. Like relax, sit back, let us do the hard work for you. Let us give you delicious wine that you don't have to think about, that you can trust, that you know that it's, made in a professional and, you know, sustainable and earth conscious way and you can just hang out. That's yep. that's the goal.
1: Well with you at the helm of the beverage side, it's only gonna be great. Yes. So I mean, there are, there are so many things that I can't wait to add to your episode page and just the intro of this episode, I mean like the I didn't want to touch too much just on just like accolades in your career. You you have done some amazing things and you've always made so many people, myself included, just make the, the beverage side of dining something that's just, just more than having a cold glass or you know, something in your hand because you feel obligated to. Yeah. That's that's incredible work, so hats off to you. Uh, until Hazel Janes opens, sometime early next year, where can people find you?
0: Um, so I'll be kind of all over the place for the next, well this isn't useful for the things I'm gonna say. Um, I'm working for Revelator, I'm trying to, you know, a little bit more emphasis on wine at some of the coffee shops around here we're doing all kinds of stuff with the company so you'll probably find me at one of the fabulous bars in town on a day that isn't a sunday or a monday
1: nice that's <laughs> exciting it's it's yeah. strange
0: because so I'm, I'm not like housed anywhere yeah i just kind of like
1: you're a nomad
0: kind of that's yeah. awesome that's I've great. been eating at Boca Lupo a lot. It's been really nice.
1: Yeah. Hey, that's great. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like summer camp every day. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Just for for it. now,
0: before the yeah. chaos. Like once September hits and like build out starts, it's just yeah. like, here we yeah.
1: go. But we'll, we'll see you at Hazel Jane's. It's going to yeah. be super fun. Many, many thanks go out to my dear friend Melissa Davis for joining me for this interview. Now, she's at the helm of the new wine and coffee bar opening at the new development just off of Edgewood and the Beltline, and it's called Hazel Jane's, which you heard just probably at the end of the interview. Now, there's plenty more to come on this new edition soon, so keep your eye out for some news on development and opening and so on. And if you want to follow along with what Melissa has going on or what's happening with the entire Revelator team here in Atlanta, check out this episode page for links and all of that good stuff. But until next time, I cannot wait to bring you guys more stories from local chefs, culinary entrepreneurs, and people who are making this city the greatest for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Thanks again for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast.